Well, good morning again, Hope Fellowship. I want to uh, just remind you this week, I, I know the men's Bible study will not be meeting. Is that the same as the women for the women's as well? So men's and women's Bible study, we're taking the week off this week. We'll resume the week after Thanksgiving. That's uh, just another invitation, both for men and women. Uh, men meet on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m. at the church office, and women are meeting in the evening on Tuesday evenings as well. All are welcome. We'd love to invite you if you've not come. Thus far, we'd still love you to come. It's a great chance to fellowship together around God's Word. It's encouraging, um, good to spend time. And admittedly, it's early for the men to get up, but it's a refreshing and good way to start our days. And so, um, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be finishing up the book of Galatians next week. But So here we are in Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Listen as I read. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But he, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But from the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Would you pray with me again? Father, again, we quietly bring our hearts to you, recognizing all of the things that are on our minds this week. The travel that will be taking place, the family that we will see, the relationships that some might be broken, some might be people longing to see other family members, all of the myriad of things that can be going around in our minds right now, Father, we just ask, would you quiet our hearts before you? Would you help us to look to your word, to hear from you from your word, and recognize we need to know how we might live in this world? And you have answers for us by looking to your son, and so we pray your Son would be clear to us by the power of the Spirit now. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, Kitty Genovese might be a name that you vaguely remember from a college sociology or psychology class. While walking home from work in New York City, Miss Genovese was attacked and she was left on the sidewalk outside of her apartment. And it's what didn't happen next next in this tragic situation that quite literally made her a textbook example of what happens when no one in a group takes responsibility. 38 witnesses heard her calling for help, but assuming that no, someone else would call the police, no one picked up a phone. And so it became standard in a teaching in social science classes for decades to try to explain why no one helps in a group setting, even when they all can clearly see there's a problem. It even had a name named after her, the Genovese Syndrome. 
But the problem with this textbook example, as researchers have since discovered, is it's simply not true. People did try to call the police. They couldn't get through. Something that researchers found out, uh, reporters found out actually, in the days after the incident, but because the reporters were unwilling to contradict the famous newspaper editor, Abe Rosenthal, the story got buried and forgotten, and a myth and a textbook example was born. So an example of somewhat people not willing to take responsibility in a group became an example of a cover-up where people shirked their responsibility because they were afraid of what someone in power would think. Your responsibility is something we come to when we come to Galatians chapter 6 as Paul begins to land the plane after he's been talking to the churches in Galatia. Paul's addressing right at the end of the book here, except he's not exactly giving it just simply as an example, as a textbook example in a classroom setting. He wants the Galatians to understand just how important this is. So after all that he's taught about how the, the battling against the flesh and how they need to walk in the spirit and to watch out for false teachers and to not help try and help the gospel because they recognize it will hurt the gospel. With everything he's been saying, now he wants to bring it home and he wants to remind them, you have a responsibility for others. And it truly is a matter of life and death. And so here's the main point I want us to focus on here this morning. Christians have a responsibility to take every opportunity to do good to one another in love. Christians, according to Paul and what he's writing here in Galatians, Christians have a responsibility to take every opportunity to do good to one another in love. So I want us to look at four points here this morning. Three responsibilities and one opportunity from this text. So three responsibilities that Christian have, Christians have, and one opportunity. So here's the first responsibility that Christians have. We could say it this way, a responsibility to intervene. A responsibility to intervene. Listen again to Galatians 6.1. Brothers, we can add, because this is referring to all of the church, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, you might wonder to yourself, what does Paul mean by anyone here? Now, I, I don't think he's just talking about Christians going around in the world and just wildly pointing out kind of when somebody is doing something wrong, that they kind of go around with a bullhorn. Now, sadly, that might be the caricature of Christians in the world, and even some Christians might act that way. But you can't find that kind of support from what Paul is writing in the New Testament, because Paul is wanting this to Christians to understand there is a responsibility that Christians have in the church towards other Christians in the church. And so when he says anyone is caught in transgression, I think in context we can clearly see he is talking about Christians within the church. Now, even though this is talking about Christians, talking to other Christians, my guess is this still makes you feel just a little bit uncomfortable. I'm, I'm called, Paul says. My responsibility is to confront a brother or sister. You know, he doesn't use that word, but it, it feels that way, that I have to go when I see them caught in any transgression. Isn't that... Isn't that still 
judgmental. And another thing, what does Paul mean by you who are spiritual should restore them? Is he kind of saying you who are the really godly ones should do this, but other people, they're not so good? So doesn't it just kind of seem like it's divisive within the church? Is he drawing distinctions between Christians that some are better than others? And, and I think all of those are really important questions. Because if you conclude, you know, this is just seems so arrogant or hypocritical, that, that's decidedly not what I'm going to do, then cl you're clearly not going to obey a command in Scripture. But the way it's done, the tone that other people hear, and the manner by which we're doing it, are critically important. So let's kind of start unpacking this, just because I'm just guessing that, for the most part, we are good Midwesterners, and we don't really like conflict. And so let's just kind of walk through this very carefully here. You know, first of all, by spiritual, Paul's picking up a word he's been using a lot throughout Galatians. And you could say it, it could be spiritual, but it could be people of the spirit. It's just a little bit more cumbersome way, and probably the reason why they didn't translate this. You are people of the spirit, not people of the flesh. What's the implication Paul's saying? What do people of the spirit do? They look out for each other. They care for one another, and they don't write them off, and they don't leave them behind, and they don't gossip, and they don't envy, and they're not jealous. In all of these ways Paul's just talked about, when he talked about the works of the flesh. But if you, if you notice as well, the way in which Paul is talking, the way he's speaking, it is really important. And I think we can catch the tone by looking at three words here. Caught, restore, and gentleness. Caught, restore, and gentleness. If you notice here, he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. And, and the caught there is less caught in the act, and more ensnared or overtaken by sin or by transgression, by anything that might be wrong. You know, think of it this way. If you've ever grown a garden and you've kind of had blackberries, one of the things you have to do with blackberries is you have to cover them with a net so that you keep the, the birds out, the crows and everything from, from eating the blackberries. But with this net over the blackberries, what's gonna happen is there are still birds that are gonna try to get in there and, and inevitably, some are going to get caught up in the net, they're going to get tangled up. And so there's, there's an there's a ensnarement that has happened for those birds. Or you can think about it this way, you know, fishermen, they cast their nets into the sea, and sometimes dolphins get caught and killed because they're caught in the, the nets. So when we think about caught, we need to remember this caught has a danger element, that unless someone helps this person, they might very well die. So, so let's think of it kind of, so that word caught is really important to understand that this isn't just a walk around with your judgmental gun and kind of fire it at whoever you want. This is, no, if you see someone, Paul says, that's caught in a transgression, that's ensnared, that they're looking like they are not gonna make it, how do you step in? So as Christians, we have to remember, but God has not left us alone on purpose. He didn't save us and then send us out and say, now, you're going to be out by yourself, but I'm going to be with you. He is going to be with us, but one of the main means by which he gives us where he is with us, when two or three are gathered, is when he is with us in the church, with other Christians, when we're gathered in community. 
And so that, for me, is one of the best arguments for why have church membership. You know, some people will argue sometimes, well, I don't see this concept of church membership. That, that seems just a little bit like, like a country club or something like that. Why even talk about membership? We just all know who's a part. I think the formal act of becoming a member of a church, what's happening, both from the leadership level as well as from people within the church, is there is a coming together and saying, we recognize when times are very good like they are now in my life, that there might be times in which I am caught in a transgression like Paul's writing in Galatians 6.1. And I'm telling you beforehand, I want you to help me. I need you to help me. And so we're gathering together and we're committing to care for one another. And if you notice down in verse 10, um, Paul shows that we have a particular responsibility towards other Christians. So look at, down at verse 10. Paul says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So he's, he's saying, yes, as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone. Christians, non-Christians alike. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, here's, here's how we need to remember this. And let me just kind of say it in a scary way. We need to watch out for each other because someone else that's not God is watching and trying to destroy us. Listen to what Paul, what Peter says in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so we have this devil who is seeking to destroy. We live in still the weakness of our flesh, which is still drawn to sin, which we've seen over the last few weeks. We live in a world full of temptation. So it's absolutely essential that we have others helping us when we're trapped and or when we're in danger of being trapped. We need other people. So notice next the, the next word we need to understand, restore. Restore. Paul says we need to restore the person who's caught. And to restore means to mend or to be put back into order or to, into its former condition or proper condition. Think of it like how a doctor might set a bone. So the purpose of going to someone who's caught in a transgression is to restore or to bring them back into the fold and not, not leave someone without protection. So we can say it this way, to not do this, leave someone, and is actually unloving because it sees their problem, it sees the difficulty they're facing, it sees how they're in snares, and it says, not my deal, not my problem. Paul's wanting us to understand, this is for all of our protection, and we need to restore them, we need to help put back into proper condition so we can bring them back into the fold here. This is true love. But notice this third word here. It's not just caught, not just restore. Look at the manner in which we're to do this, with gentleness. Paul's just talked about gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit in somebody's life. When you're seeking to restore someone and when you're seeking to help them, that you have the opportunity to demonstrate Jesus and that you, and what we see about Jesus throughout the Gospels is he did not, when he saw people, when he had people coming to him who are crying out, who are desperate, he didn't heap a guilt trip on them. He didn't say, yeah, but, look, I'm going I'm to heal you, but you've got some issues here. 
he, he, wasn't, he wasn't ridiculing them. He was gently seeking to stoop beside them and love them and care for them when no one else was. He gently drew near. You know, Matthew quotes Isaiah, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stop, snuff out. So that's what we need to remember about our Savior. He is a gentle Savior. He is one who calls us to him, who draws near to us, who stoops, and whom we don't need to worry about, that he is going to push us away. And so what that needs to do is, that needs to influence, and that needs to be the predominant tone within a church when we're caring for others, even those who are caught in sin, is we're seeking to restore them with gentleness. So there is, there is a responsibility to intervene. The next responsibility we see here is there's a responsibility to bear one another's burdens. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ is love, and Paul's already shown that. Now, I can remember when we were young, when the girls were really young, and we were young too, uh, we'd go on walks, and inevitably one of them would insist on bringing a scooter or something that they could ride on. And we knew when they would want to bring that scooter and they would want to ride on it, that we would get a, maybe two houses down and they'd be done with the scooter and we'd be carrying it and it'd be kind of like knocking into our shins as we try to carry the scooter the rest of the Parents, you know, with young kids, you know the, this drill. And from experience, I can tell you there are two ways to parent in this situation. And I decidedly do one of them and it's almost always wrong. Just being real. <laughs> I think by the time Betsy gets out of college, it might be like, okay, let's try this over. (laughs) We can do this. You know, one way of parenting is to try to make it clear that we're going to go on a walk, and you need to bring your, if you're bringing that scooter, that's up to you. That's great. Here's the responsibilities you have with that scooter. And one of those responsibilities is pack in, pack out. You you bring that scooter, you're bringing it back. Or it's just going to be left in somebody's gut. Now, I will say this. We do employ the pack-in, pack-out kind of mentality now that the girls have gotten older and we go on trips on airplanes and people want to bring maybe you know hundreds of pounds worth of cosmetics and things. We just want to make sure, hey, girls, understand, I, I physically can't carry all of that. And so you're going to take it. So there's a time for that. So uh, there's a time for that. But when your kids are young, there's one of two ways you can kind of say, here's the responsibility, but you know they're not going to be able to meet the responsibility. And so what are you going to do when you get into that situation down the road? Are you going to guilt trip them? Are you going to heap it on them? What are you going to do? Are you going to leave the scooter on the road? I think just one of the things that I would just say is just pick up the scooter. Just carry it home. And it's going to begin to demonstrate a care for them. That's a good thing to have responsibilities. But I think what this should show us is, isn't it easy to have this same kind of um, kind of mindset when we see other people struggling, we can easily start to think in our hearts, or we can say to a close friend or to a spouse, well, you know they wouldn't be in this situation if, or I tried to tell them and they wouldn't listen, and so what can you do? They're just going to have to carry it themselves. Or we might even go on and, and, and make another statement and, and say, I just can't stand their responsibility. They always do this. Now, I think there's great temptation in our hearts. And, but I think what Paul is talking about here about bearing, bear, bearing the burdens of others, 
means we love them despite their weaknesses. We love them despite their failures. We love them and we carry their burdens even if we could have seen that burden coming. We don't just kind of leave them by the side of the road because that's not what our Savior has done. Jesus came to us when we were unable to help ourselves. Jesus came to us, and there's no amount of promising we could have made where we could have said, Jesus, I promise I'll live for you now. The answer is we would realize we will fail. It can't be by our own strength. He restored us. He picked us up. He brought us in. And so I think it tells us a lot about what we think about what Jesus thinks about us and what he did for us in the gospel by how he responds, how we respond to other people now. So Paul says simply, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now we're going into Thanksgiving here this week, and you might already feel some measure of anxiety in your heart because you might be thinking, I don't know how I'm going to handle being around this relative or that relative. I don't know how I could bear, especially if they're, they're Christians, and yet there's such kind of relational conflict can be there, and how am I going to be able to do this? Paul's what it seems wanting us to see is fulfill the law of Christ, it's love. It's not judgmentalism, it's not jealousy, it's not envy, it's not divisions, it's not strife or doing anything to promote those things. It's loving someone and feeling the weight of their burdens to essentially strap their pack on your back and help you to understand this is the weight they're carrying, and so I'm going to love you because of what you're carrying here, not judge you for it. So when you walk beside a close friend, and maybe that close friend is going through suffering, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's a divorce, to bear their burdens is to enter into their world and seek to understand the pain that they're feeling and take it on yourself as if it were your own. Again, because this is what Jesus has done for us. He entered into our world. He felt quite literally our pain, a pain even that we will remember here this morning when we come to the table. And he did it for our good. He did it so we would have his righteousness, that we would have his peace, that we, he would, like he said, that my joy would be in them and that their joy would be full. He loved us so that we might love others. And so we have a responsibility to bear one another's burdens. But yet, it's not just outward looking that we have a responsibility. Notice here what Paul says in two different ways. We have a third thing we should see here this morning is a responsibility to watch out for ourselves. Our other responsibility, look at the end of verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, so helping, what Paul's pointing out here is, helping someone in danger puts you at risk too. If you go to help somebody who's sinking in quicksand, if you just walk right out into the quicksand, you too are going to be kind of ensnared within that quicksand and sink. You know, if, if there's a problem at a nuclear power plant, People are kind of putting on all these sorts of PPE, you know, personal protective equipment, and they're entering into restricted, highly radiation, high radiation zones. And so they're being very careful with how they do it. And so what we have to recognize, Paul is saying, is look, number one, we shouldn't be judging them because, but for the grace of God, go I. But also, we can face those same temptations even in the process 
of helping them. So people either judge a people, person because of who's caught in sin, or they don't recognize how easily they could be ensnared as, as well. So if you've ever thought the thought, well, I would never do that. Paul's actually helping us to see, watch yourself. You could be caught in this very same thing. And so there's a responsibility we have to watch out for ourselves when we're helping someone who's caught in transgression. But, but also look at verse 5. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So now you might think to yourself, what gives Paul? Because you just talked about bearing somebody's burdens, and now you're saying each person's going to have to bear their own load. And so is this contradiction? First of all, we should notice these are two different words, load and burdens. Second thing we should remember is this is really just kind of two sides of the coin within Christian community. Christians walking with Jesus individually, recognizing that we're to live our life and live our life walking by the power of the Spirit and enabling us to walk by the power of the Spirit on the path that we're on. Both are true. We need to both bear others' burdens, and we also need to recognize there's a personal responsibility for obedience to walk with Christ. And so really what we could say is, at the end of all time, this is almost a passage that's looking far forward. At the end of all time, we are going to stand alone before the judgment, before, before God the Father. And because we're in Christ, Christ has taken all the judgment that was due to us. But we won't be standing there and say, well, actually that wasn't my fault, that was their fault. We're not gonna be able to kind of pass the buck around at all. There is individual responsibility, and that's what Paul is wanting to make sure we see. And so we've seen three responsibilities here. We do have a responsibility to intervene in people's lives. We have a responsibility to do that gently, and lovingly, to display Christ. We have a responsibility for ourselves. But look at how Paul ends here. Our last point here this morning, our opportunity. You know, starting in verse 5, we see two different ways that Christians have the opportunity to do good to others. And we could say them in two ways. Sharing and sowing. I was going to have three points here. I have a sharing, sowing, and a summary. But I had to keep putting too many words in front of summary to make it work. So let's just talk about sharing and sowing and then know that he does summarize at the end. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So now Paul is making the case for those who hear the word in the gospel and who receive spiritual benefit should be sharing with the ones who are teaching them. And so that what's happening even right now, there is a blessing that I have to be able to devote myself to the study of God's word in order to be serving the congregation. And so what Paul's pointing out here, the responsibility of the congregation to care for the pastor is returned by the responsibility of the pastor to be shepherding and caring well and teaching the congregation. And speaking personally, I can say, I'm so thankful to be supported by you as a church. And that's something that not all pastors around the world enjoy because of harsh economic conditions and why we want to continue to help train and equip pastors with word partners. Doug Dunton in North Africa. We recognize this is a privileged position 
But even in other churches, one of the things as we talk with pastors, there, we need to recognize that there is a responsibility for the church, even if it's supporting a little, out of their little, for those who are caring for them. But maybe the bigger question you might ask is, why is Paul bringing that up here? It, you know, it kind of seems a little bit out of the blue, doesn't it? You know, it's not as if he's been talking about money, and it could be he's just he's just kind of one, he has kind of a list in his mind. He wanted to make sure now I need to make sure before I'm done to talk about this and this, and he's checked everything off, and he's just kind of going to that. It could be just a, a simple list, but I actually think it's, it makes a connection with the context, with the call to responsibility that he's just had about bearing their own load. And he's wanting them to make sure that they're not misapplying what he just talked about, bearing their own load, and say, well, the pastor, the ones who are teaching, they just need to bear their own load too, since I'm bearing my own load. And so Paul, I think in context here, is kind of wanting to make sure to give the side where, just in case you're tempted to think this, here's actually what you need the way you need to be thinking. But Paul's not just talking about sharing. He's also speaking about sowing. Look at verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now Paul is turning to an agricultural metaphor about sowing seeds on the ground. And through this metaphor, Paul's bringing God into the conversation to remind us how he uses the seed of the fruit of the Spirit to grow spiritual fruit. And so if you remember kind of back at the, the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, when he was talking about being called to freedom and to be walking by the power of the Spirit so that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now Paul is wanting to remind them, look, if you're sowing the deeds of the flesh, the works of the flesh, don't be surprised that what the fruit you're going to get is this works of the flesh. If you're sowing divisions, if you're sowing anger, if you're sowing sexual immorality, you're going to receive some of the fruits of that, that labor. Paul's wanting to, what he's wanting to do is just kind of show them, but likewise, as you're walking by the Spirit, as you're living by the Spirit, as you're led by the Spirit, as you're keeping in step with the Spirit, all four of those ways Paul just talked about in Galatians chapter 5, as you're living this life in the Spirit, you're sowing spiritual fruit, and you are going to reap a harvest. So we can say it simply just like this, and kind of proverbially we say this, garbage in, garbage out. You know, we instinctively understand this. If we're saying, look, if we eat Twinkies and Susie Q's for breakfast, it's going to affect your energy for the rest of the day. We get that, right? But the point he's wanting to do is the way you make these little things that you're doing consistently, whether they're in the flesh or in the spirit, when you're walking by the spirit, there is going to be this fruit that is born. Now, the temptation is we can grow easily discouraged. We can obey for a little while and then just start to say, but what did it get me? I haven't gotten anything from that. I'm actually not even getting to enjoy my life anymore and enjoy these pleasures, even though they were sinful. At least I was having fun. And now I feel like I'm not at all. Paul's saying, look, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So sow to the Spirit. And then he summarizes in verses 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up. 
So there's that on, don't give up, ongoing. Verse 10, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So don't grow weary of doing good, Christian, Paul saying. Don't give up. Just because, just like a farmer might be discouraged if he, he doesn't see his crop growing the way he wanted it to, or he doesn't see the fruit ready just to kind of fall off the trees, he's wanting the Christian to know, continue going, continuing to do good by faith. And so, again, to tie it to kind of this week we're in in particular, do good, kind of sow to the Spirit, even in this week, even if you don't see immediate fruit. So walking by faith, walking by the Spirit, in part means we're choosing obedience, even when the fruit of obedience won't be seen or felt or experienced for a long time, maybe years, and maybe never fully until we're in glory. But choosing the fleeting pleasures of lust rather than renewing your mind or dwelling on bitterness rather than forgiving someone is going to bear this fruit of the flesh and it is going to eat you alive. So Paul calls us to do take the opportunity to do good. And he starts broad. And he says, look, now here he means, when he says everyone, he's talking about everyone. Do good to everyone as you have opportunity. If you have the opportunity to do good to someone, do it. And especially the household of faith. Now this is why I think, why we would say, why do we use our, our care and share fund that we collect, that we have to care for needs, and primarily that money is going towards people who have need within our body? It's, it's really right here is one of the places we would go and we'd say, yes, we want to do good to everyone as we have opportunity. We can't do good for the whole world because we just have a limited amount of resources, but we want to do especially good for those who are within our congregation. Just like we would with our own family unit, so we also want to do with the family of God in our local church. And so here's how we can conclude here this morning. We all have responsibilities. We have responsibilities in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our city. But here in Galatians chapter 6, Paul wants us to understand that we have a critical responsibility to one another that we can't assume someone else will do. We need to all take the responsibility that God has given to us, being a part of the body of Christ, to look for every opportunity and to do good. And so this can be our prayer even this week. God, thank you for the opportunities you've given to do good to others this week. Help me to see them and help me to walk in those good works this week, I pray. Let's pray together. Father, that is all of our prayer. We want to remind ourselves your gentleness as you have drawn near to us in Christ, your care for us that you've given to us in your spirit, your ongoing work not leaving us alone, and that you have placed us within the church. And so, Father, I pray that in our mission groups that there would be opportunity to love one another in this way. I pray that we would care for one another well that we would bear one another's burdens in such a way that when people look from the outside and they see our community of faith right here, they would be looking at something wholly different than what they have experienced 
and they would look to Jesus, and they themselves would be saved. And so, Father, we give you the praise, and we ask that you would get the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.